Welcome to the sermons of Steve Galloway, pastor of First Baptist Church, Macon, Mississippi. Let us join together and study God's Word and apply it to our hearts so that we may learn His truths and live faithful, obedient lives. May God bless our time together. I did an overview of, of Jude, and we'll kind of do a very brief overview. But last week we dealt with the introduction, and we identified Jude as the half-brother of Jesus. And we also shared that Jude refers a lot to Second Peter. And Peter's letter, uh, he warned of the false prophets coming. Now Jude is basically saying that the false prophets or teachers are now have infiltrated the church. So his message is really twofold, to stand firm against the false teachers, identify them and, and work against them, and to stand firm in their faith. Uh, we were dealing with uh, uh, the audience. Well, we kind of assume that since uh, Jude is speaking very much along the same lines as Peter in Second Peter, that the audience is pretty much the same, which was the dispersed Jewish people who had gone out from Jerusalem into Asia Minor. And so... Uh, Jude is Jewish, and we assume that he is very much like Peter, where he uh, is preaching or sharing these messages to the Jewish uh, Christians who are now uh, scattered throughout Asia Minor. So this is not a letter to a specific church, but to the church in Asia Minor. So we look and we see that in verse 1, it says, uh, To those who are called, loved of God and the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. In that little phrase, you actually see the Trinity. Uh, the Holy Spirit's not mentioned, but the one who calls is the Holy Spirit. He takes the Word of God and draws people unto salvation. So the Holy Spirit is there. Beloved of God the Father, who is the one who loved us so much that he sent his only begotten Son uh, to save us, and who are kept in Jesus Christ. Jesus says that, uh, you're in my hands, you're in the Father's hands, and no one can take you out of my hands. And so then we pick up with verse 2 where it says, May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Those three words, and we use them so casually, I guess, as Christians, but they're powerful words. Mercy is receiving, is not receiving what we do deserve. Mercy is not getting the eternal punishment that we deserve but instead receiving God's grace, which is giving us his gift of eternal life. And because Jesus did die on the cross for us, for our sins, we as believers find peace in him. He is our only source of peace, and that peace passes all understanding. And just like uh, the Millers the other night, um, there's no way other than the peace of God being present in their hearts that they could survive or deal with that kind of an ordeal. So we have peace in us, and we find it through the only source of true peace, and that's Jesus. So then Jesus' death for us, uh, for our sins, shows the ultimate gift of God's love. And I used a, a quoted from Romans 5.8, But God demonstrated his own love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So not only do we, as believers, receive these gifts of God, but Jude also desires for us to continue to multiply them. In other words, just because we receive them doesn't mean that we need to say, okay, I've got it and that's it. It says, and, uh, and I may, I'm sorry, and be multiplied to you. In other words, this should be a growing situation. We should grow in God's mercy, peace, and love. 
And so then we talked about it a little bit last week, but verse 3 talks about why Jude wrote this letter. And he says, I intended, I made every effort to write to you about our common salvation. Now, he was a pastor at heart, and he knew that these uh, Jewish believers were in you know, far, far away lands. And he was just wanting to encourage them to stay faithful to their salvation, to truly understand what their salvation meant. In other words, he was kind of reaffirming, wanting to reaffirm their salvation. But, he says, I felt it necessary to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once, uh, once for all handed down to the saints. He, he says, I need to appeal to you to contend earnestly for the faith. In other words, he's saying the faith is under attack. Because when we look, look at that uh, phrase, to contend earnestly, it if you look at the Greek word, um, it's one word, and Paul used it when he was telling Timothy to fight the good fight. Well, the word that Jude uses is that same word, but it has an intensifier on the, on the beginning of it. So instead of just fight the good fight, it means go beyond that into an intense conflict. So this is not to be taken lightly. He's saying this is a serious war, spiritual war, so this is a call to arms, an intense warning uh, that, that we need to be ready to fight. And he says to contend earnestly for the faith. Now, a lot of times when we talk about the faith, we just think about you know, the faith of believers. You know, We believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Well, it goes a little bit deeper than that. It's really our core doctrinal beliefs as Christians. And so the faith really is the entire message of salvation. And if you really want to boil it down, uh, uh, some of the tenets of the faith would be to, to believe in the inspired and inerrant uh, Word of God, the Scriptures, to believe in the triune God, the Trinity, to believe in the virgin birth, showing the full deity and the full humanity of Christ and uh, His sinless life, to believe in Jesus' substitutionary death for our sins and his miraculous bodily resurrection, to believe that he ascended to heaven and uh, sent his Holy Spirit to come to be with us, and to believe in the future return of Jesus to earth as judge. So anyone who strays from these core central doctrines of our faith cannot truly claim to be a child of God. And so that's really pointing to there are those who do not truly believe these. And look at verse 4. He says, For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Now, when you're a little kid, did you ever sneak around, you know, crawl under tables and see if you could sneak past your parents or something like that without them seeing him? And your mom would say, I see you. And she got her back to you. And she said, I have eyes in the back of my head. <laughs> But, well, this is kind of like the enemy spies. Now, most of the time, enemy spies are coming in to try to gain information. But in this case, they are there to corrupt the information that is there. And so, a foreign spy is not going to come in with a big label that says, I'm from China, I'm from Russia, I'm from some other country, and I'm here to take away your secrets. They don't do that. They come in and they do their best to blend in to those who are around them so that others see them as just one of their own. And so 
At first, they just basically try to blend in and they methodically work to gain the confidence and trust of others around them. And once they've done so, uh, then they find that they're in the perfect position to begin to influence others. So basically what Jude is telling us is that the false teachers have snuck into the church and you don't even realize that they're there. They don't immediately draw attention to themselves, but they try to blend in. And so they devote themselves to try to gain the trust and respect of others. And they usually try to find the weakest ones within the church to try to gain their confidence first. Because they feel like if I can get more, you know, if I get a few followers, then, you know, we have this tendency to kind of follow the leaders. We kind of, you know, if, if so many people are starting to follow this pattern or this way or this person, then we're just going to kind of do likewise. Uh, the trends in America are, are amazing. If one model wears bell-bottom pants, then everybody starts wearing bell-bottom pants. If one model wears, you know, uh, says uh, they use a certain kind of product on their hair, everybody's got to go out and try to buy that product. So we're highly influenced. And so they know that if they can get just a small following, then that will probably lead others to follow as well. So they, they usually start praying on the weakest of the faith. And they accomplish this. Uh, they gradually begin to influence them and then lead others astray from the truth. And it says that these false teachers are masters uh, at being spiritual spies. They know how to talk the talk and walk the walk. They know the Sunday school answers. They know to say it's, it's Jesus. They know to say this and this. And they know how to live a, quote, godly life, a good life. In other words, they know how to behave themselves. They know how to not cuss around other people. They know how to, you know, minister, do good things for other people. But God knows their heart. God knows their true being. And the last part of verse 4 says, or the middle part says, who were long beforehand marked out for this condition. And so he says, God already knows who they are. They're already condemned by him. And then the next uh, phrase says, they are ungodly people. They may, act, they may act godly. They may act good. But in essence, they have turned from the grace of God and they turn that grace of God into licentiousness. Now, do y'all use that word very often, licentiousness? Well, it basically means to have a nature of sinful depravity and or sexual debauchery. In other words, it means to feed the flesh. So what they are saying, here, here's the basis of what they're saying, and what, what Jane, uh, Judas is actually describing here becomes a heretical uh, teaching of the Gnostics later on. Basically what uh, these false teachers are saying is there's a separation from the spirit and the flesh. The spirit is what receives salvation. The flesh is evil and can never receive salvation. So when you receive salvation, your spirit is saved and your spirit is all that remains after this earth and your spirit will go to be with the Lord. But the flesh is in essence evil. And you cannot do anything to overcome that evil. So just live and do what you want to. Feed the flesh. Now, that's not what the Bible teaches, is it? Because the Bible tells us to resist the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. So if the Bible tells us that, no, we are not to be licentious, we are not to just turn the grace of God into a, into a permission to live any way that we want to, 
there, uh, I think is in Paul's writings, somebody once said to him, so we need to sin all the more so that grace can abound. He said, God forbid for that to happen. In other words, the, the false teacher was saying, in order for, for God's grace to be poured out even more, we need to sin more. Does that make sense to you? I hope not, because that's exactly what uh, Jude is saying that these false teachers were saying, is that they were ungodly people and they were turning the grace of God into licentiousness. And so we look and we see that uh, the last part of that says that they, uh, they also denied the Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They denied him. Now again, they know the words to say. They know how to appease other people. And so they can say things that sound right, but in their hearts they have never surrendered to Jesus as Lord. Matter of fact, they deny his deity. They basically said, you know, this man Jesus, he's a great man. He taught wonderful moral teachings that we ought to follow. But he's not God. He is not deity. And so without this core doctrinal belief in the deity of Christ, there is no true salvation. And then he picks up in verse 5, Now I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all. What he's saying is, you have already been taught the truth. You've already received the gospel. You know what is right. But what I want you to do is, I want to remind you, I desire to remind you. And it's just like, what I did at first, I did a very quick review of what we dealt with last week. Many times on Sunday morning, I do a quick review of what we dealt with a week or two before. And what Jude is doing is he's reminding them of the simple doctrinal truths that they've already learned, that they already know, and he wants them to bring those back up so that they compare the, these doctrinal truths to the ungodly teachings of these false teachers. And then he says, comparing their coming judgment uh, to the past judgments. Basically picking up at the last part of verse 5 and going through the end of, of this passage through verse 7. I never did read the passage, did I? I'm sorry. I jumped right into it. Okay. okay. Uh, at the end of uh, the last part of verse 5, he says that the Lord, after saving the people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe, and angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bondage under darkness, darkness for the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these indulged in gross immoralities and went after strange flesh are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. So here, what Jude is doing, he is saying, I'm going to compare to you these false teachers, what their eternity is going to be like. It's going to be the same as those who uh, dealt with unbelief, those who rejected the deity of Christ, or uh, rejected the, uh, the authority of God, and those who lived a licentious life. And so what we see is that, going back to the Israelites, they were in Egypt. They had been in bondage for 400 years, for a long time. And God used Moses to bring them out. If you remember, uh, as they approached the promised land, they sent out the 12 spies. 
And they came back, and only two of them said, yes, God has given us this great land. Yes, there are giants there, but it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's go in and take it, because God has given it to us. But the other ten said, no, 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 they will eat us like like insects. They will, you know, they'll devour us. We have no way of conquering these giant people. And so, because of their unbelief, God basically made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and no one from 20 years and, and older survived that wilderness. They all died in the wilderness. So he says that they subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. They did not enter into the promised land. That was their punishment for unbelief. Then angels who did not keep their own domain. Well, we know that um, uh, we see back in the Old Testament where Satan was cast out of heaven. And he took with him about a third of the angels who had followed him instead of God. Now, the problem with this is that God allowed them to remain. They still roam on the earth. They still have, you know, evil powers. But it says here he has kept in eternal bondage under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So in other words, there are some of these fallen angels that he has already condemned. He has already locked them up into eternal darkness for the judgment. So who are these angels if they're not free to roam like the ones that we've read about in the Old Testament? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, let me just read it. It says, Now it came about when men began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, that the sons of God saw that daughters of men were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he is also, also is flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. The Nephilims were in the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them, those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. We know that, so we look at this, we know that God had cast out the demons. And the only way to read between the lines is that some of these fallen angels had, I don't know how, don't know how to even explain it, but they became these sons of God who, who had relationships with women. And the offsprings were mighty men. And... This is before the flood, and this is basically God saying, I will no longer contend with the flesh of man. He saw the evilness of this interaction, and that is really the thing that caused him to, to, to tell Noah to build the ark and for him to flood the earth and destroy all mankind so that this would not continue on. And so they were corrupt, and basically what we see is that they had rejected God's authority in heaven and on earth. And then we see the fate of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, they indulged in gross immorality. Basically, they were, their primary sin was practicing homosexuality and other God, ungodly sex practices. It uses the term, and went after strange flesh. We don't really know what that means. Some seem to interpret that it may have been having sexual relationships with other than humans like bestiality, whatever it means, it was gross immorality and God would have nothing to do with it and so God destroyed those evil cities. And so basically what uh, Jude is saying is that that same judgment 
is upon these men who are in your church trying to lead it astray. So going back to what I said earlier where he says, uh, contend earnestly. I said that is even a greater uh, call to arms than, uh, let me find the phrase, fight the good fight that Paul had told Timothy. Same word, but it has an intensifier on it where it says to contend earnestly. In other words, take up your arms. This is an intense conflict, and you must stand firm. And so Jude is really using this as a call to arms and saying, if you follow after these false teachers, that means that you truly did not have a, a saving faith, and your eternal judgment will be the same as theirs. And I don't think we want to follow with the, those who were guilty of unbelief in the Israelites coming out of Egypt, nor the fallen angels, nor the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So this is the common judgment. The false teachers will follow the same path of those examples here. So just kind of wrapping it up, false teachers don't shout, I'm here, y'all listen to me, I'm going to tell you false things, but I think that you'll like what I have to say. What they do is they preach and teach an easy gospel. In other words, you don't need to surrender to the Lordship of Christ. All you got to do is just say, I believe in him, or just, just live a good life. You know, Jesus was a good moral teacher, and he told us how we ought to live. Let's just give it at that. So just kind of follow the moral teachings of Jesus. Be a good person. Minister to the needs of others. Take care of widows and orphans. You know, if, if somebody's in need, go and help them. You know, that'll get you to heaven. And so they'll teach an easy salvation. But they're sneaking in, they're blending in, and before long, the weak are starting to follow them because they want an easy salvation. They want an easy way to get to heaven. But we've already dealt with this in uh, Matthew on the Sermon on the Mount where that's the wide path that goes through the wide gate that leads to destruction. The narrow path that goes through the narrow gate that leads to eternal life, few find it. And so we have to be very careful in our churches. So uh, if anybody begins to sense that there's a false teacher in their midst, they need to sound the alarm. They need to say, I don't know what this person's teaching, but I don't think it's the truth. And make sure I'm aware of it. You know, let people know we need to be wary of this person. So we must be prepared to identify false teachers as well as to confront them because the future of the church really depends on it. And yeah, I'm not a... I, I, well, number one, I'm, you know, Sunday mornings I'm preparing to, to preach, so I'm not watching some of the TV uh, pastors and things like that. I know there are some excellent ones on television. I praise the Lord for their abilities to, to share the message to those who cannot be in church, especially through this uh, pandemic. Uh, Susan's parents, you know, they their church is full and they're not feeling comfortable being so close to a lot of younger people who are just out and about every day of their lives. And so their church uh, broadcasts theirs live on YouTube. And so I, I set up uh, something on their television. They do have internet where they can actually watch it live on television. And so I praise the Lord for that. However, there are many out there who are using the airwaves, the television, the radio, uh, internet, all sorts of different ways 
to spread false teachings. And so we have to be very careful of what we listen to, what we hear. And when we hear something that does not sound true to the Word of God, we need to stand firm, we need to confront it, and we need to make sure our faith is going to overcome it. Hmm. Well, let's close with a time of prayer then. Lord, we are so thankful, Lord, that we can look upon the, the power of your might, Lord, just by calling upon the name of Jesus and, Lord, to realize that that name truly does have power in our world today. Lord, help us to claim that power each and every day, to, to realize that when we call upon your name that you have the power to, to overcome the temptations in our own lives. And, Lord, when we're confronted uh, by evil, Lord, you are the power to overcome it. Lord, help us to call upon your name at all times and, Lord, to, to just worship you for who you are. And, Lord, help us to be mindful that there are false teachers, there are evil people around us who would do like nothing more than to harm us or to, to lead us astray. Lord, you are our strength. Help us, Lord, to depend on you, to, to give us wisdom, guidance, knowledge, understanding, to overcome any who would lead us astray. Lord, thank you for the the gift that you've given us through the media where men of God are able to, to share your truths with people who cannot or for whatever reason choose not to, to be in the house of worship. Or Lord, they add to what they've heard at church by, uh, by tuning in and hearing even more about your word. Lord, we're thankful for, for that gift that you've given us. But Lord, at the same time, there are many who will turn in, tune into a, uh, a broadcast that claims to be preaching the word of God, but it's not. It's a false teacher. Lord, I pray that you will help them to see the falseness and that they will be led away from them and then led to the truth. Lord, thank you for these ladies and for their faithfulness. Thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.